If you're in the wellness, coaching, therapy, healing, or helping industries, you'll have noticed that trauma has been the must-know buzzword online for a few years now. As a trained psychotherapist, although my work these days is less clinical and more embodied artistry, <laughs> I'm so grateful to have the trauma education background that I do. When working with bodies is absolutely essential to be trauma aware and trauma informed at a minimum. And yet, what about grief? While such an emphasis is placed on those who work with the body and mind to learn about the nervous system and commit to our own trauma healing, where's the call to really understand grief outside of trauma? to be able to hold space for our own grief so we can effectively hold space for others in theirs, even if our work isn't directly related to grief. Today on the pod, I'm delving into our messy entanglement of loss. What's trauma? What's grief? And where do they intersect? I'm also digging into why we tend to run from grief, oftentimes more than we run from working on our trauma, and how embodied grief work just might be the most important work you've done yet. Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask. Within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper and I'm so grateful you're here. Hey, hey, so good to welcome you back to the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. I'm Kate Leeper, and today is going to be a juicy one again, my loves. We're covering some topics that I hope might frame your own experiences of grief in helpful ways. And also, if you work with the bodies, hearts, and minds of women, might also help to frame their experiences with more nuance and understanding. Now, a quick loving shout out before I leap into today's episode. I want to say a huge thank you to the incredible Scott Mellis, who is behind the music and production of the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. I get a lot of feedback that the quality of this podcast is great and a pleasure to listen to. And so, Scotty, huge love to you. You can check out Scott and his music and projects over on Instagram at Scott Mellis. I'll also link to him in the show notes. Alrighty, so back to this idea of entangled loss. The question we're exploring today is. Is it grief? Is it trauma? Or is it both? The reason I'm interested in teasing these things apart is because naturally in my work with women as a therapist and embodiment teacher, they all arise and often do arise in very complicated and layered ways, which is, of course, the case when we're dealing with messy humanness. 
our experiences of life aren't ever cut and dry or black and white. And I think that's the first thing we need to accept here, where the medical model would have us all squeezed in convenient, neat little labeled boxes. We just don't fit in them. And from an embodied perspective, when we can sensitize to the language of our own grief, know its flavors and patterns and expressions, we can tend to it better. When we can somewhat separate our trauma responses and the attachment wounds from the qualities of our grief, we support our complex system in more effective ways, but also with far more reverence. So to begin, I want to share some basic ways we can understand and relate to our trauma as distinct from grief and also where they might merge. So let's start with trauma. A trauma is a full-bodied response to a distressing or disturbing event that happened too much, too fast, and too soon. A trauma response is your body's attempt at protecting you from perceived danger. It puts you into a state of hyperarousal or shock linked to the fight, flight, or freeze responses. And there are other responses, but for the purpose of today, I'm just going to kind of bring it back down to uh, to some more basic ideas around trauma. Now, sometimes loss can result in trauma. Okay, so for example, if a death was unexpected, or a result of a violent crime, or it was out of the expected natural order, such as the death of a child or a young person. In these cases, not only is there the loss itself to process, but also the circumstances around the death. Now, a prolonged trauma response is known as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Now, PTSD can present as agitation and aggression, which is fight, anxiety and hyperactivity, which can be flight, and in feelings of disconnection or numbness, which is often freeze. Trauma can also produce physical effects like headaches, nausea, digestive problems, sleep disturbances, lowered immune system function, and panic attacks. Now, in contrast, grief is a natural human response to loss. I am so averse to, comp- to sorry, contemplating grief in any kind of stage model. There is no one way to grieve. There is no one grieving process or one correct timeline of grief. You might notice that over time, Feelings around a particular loss may begin to ebb and flow. And with support and resourcing, it is possible to find helpful and even healing ways to remember, whether that be a loved one, a relationship, or any significant experience of loss as you navigate a new normal, so to speak. So within the vast spectrum of grief, 
there can be many painful and complex factors to contend with. Particularly in the early years after a major loss, grief is an emotionally turbulent companion in everyday life. We can move through numbness, sadness, anger and distress in waves and cycles and it can feel utterly exhausting, particularly as an aware grieving person when you really know what's, uh, what you're cycling through. Yet also for someone who hasn't ever met with their grief, honestly, or they haven't felt supported enough to kind of go there, the exhaustion can be compounded because grief is forever just simmering under the surface of other stresses of life, begging to be felt and acknowledged fully. So with these definitions, it's obvious the circumstances around a loss can lead to the loss itself being experienced as trauma. Also, there's incidences where something is first experienced as a traumatic event and then grief follows. Once the body registers after the initial shock that there is either great loss now impending or as a result of, then grief often emerges. It's whether or not we give ourselves permission at those times to acknowledge the depth of grief and let it have its way with us. And now there's a lot that comes into that, obviously. We must feel safe. We must feel we have the capacity. There's lots and lots, and we're going to dive into that today. Now, it's really important to note that within capitalist productivity culture, when on either a personal or collective level, something occurs that is by consensus extremely traumatic, we seem much better able to express our anger and our disbelief than we do our sorrow and despair. We apologize for our sorrow so much of the time and work so hard to keep it all together when inside our heart is shattered. I remember vividly the final month of my sister's life as she was dying from brain cancer. She'd had her second surgery, which was initially deemed successful, but ultimately the tumor was so aggressive that it just kept growing back. It was it was quick. And last-ditch efforts of chemo and radiation were unsuccessful. And so it was communicated to us as a family that there was really nothing that could be done to save her life. She had only been diagnosed with the glioblastoma multiform two months prior. So it all happened extremely quickly. Literally one minute we were celebrating her health as she was hiking mountains, traveling to Europe, teaching English to little kids in Hong Kong and planning IVF with her husband. And the next minute we were coming to terms with the fact that she was going to die in a matter of weeks. You know, the dissonance between where we thought her life was heading after successful brain surgery for her first tumour five years earlier and the reality of her impending death 
landing in our laps just so suddenly was incredibly shocking. I still can't now even wrap my head around how a gorgeous, vibrant 26-year-old with a full life ahead of her could die of such an aggressive disease just so suddenly and tragically. We used to joke that we were one another's, we were one another's shadow. And as sisters, <clears throat> we were part of one another. You know, we shared almost like the same body sometimes it felt. Everything that happened to her, it felt and it still feels like it happened to me in some way. And the tragic nature of the entire unfolding, the millions of moments that are now frozen in my memory surrounding her cancer journey and and the rapid decline, too much, too fast and too soon, (laughs) makes up the post-traumatic stress that just continues to plague my every day since she died in 2019. Yet the myriad of losses that lie underneath the blanket of trauma constitute this giant puzzle of grief, like a thousand splintered fragments of my heart. This is how I experience the loss of my sister. There's the grief of simply knowing that she is dead. The grief of missing her, her voice, her touch and connection. The grief of her absence as part of the family constellation. The grief of never having her meet my youngest daughter and of Maggie never knowing her auntie. The grief of not being able to grow old together as sisters and best friends. And then there's all the grief I feel like I carry on her behalf. And I often wonder if this is intensified with sibling loss, particularly if you are really, really close. This really clear sense of my own grief and trauma for that matter, and then her grief and her trauma as separate to mine, yet still contributing such a heavy, painful weight on my heart and body. I think survivor guilt comes into this and I'll leave this exploration for another day, I think, but I'll just mention the intensity of grief I still feel knowing the depths of her confusion, pain and helplessness at the reality that her life had gone from joyful and promising to being cut short in such a confronting and shocking way. And my despair at knowing I couldn't do anything to save her. So many layers, so much complexity. And when it's all so jumbled up, like in my example, in in the death of my sister Sarah, an experience that was inherently traumatic and layered with so many elements that I haven't even touched on on this podcast. I mean, we'd be here for days, you know, when we move towards processing and integrating our experience of grief, we're not always met with support who understands these complicated layers. We can have the traumatic elements of our loss completely disregarded or misunderstood and our grief minimized and dishonored as something we need to heal or move on from. It's really important that we get curious 
about our own nervous systems and how our trauma may be presenting. This might be through expressions of, say, extreme hypervigilance or frequent episodes of dissociation, just kind of being outside of the body to escape sensation and emotion. And a good therapist is important if these kinds of coping mechanisms are playing out for you. It's also important to get curious about the language of your grief. How is your grief calling you to honour your loss, your embodied expression of sorrow, and be more present to hearing and following your own wisdom? And this must be a gentle process and it's often not something you can get a hold on in really early days of acute grief. Early days are for simply surviving and riding the waves as best you can with as much support as you need and you can muster. After the initial intensity is where perhaps you can invite a deeper relationship with your grief and learn to alchemize it into your life in resourcing and supportive ways. So I wanted to come back now to something I feel can be really unhelpful in this age of keyboard experts and warriors and social media memes. I see so often these kinds of regurgitated trauma facts or information about trauma without any context, leading everyone who reads it to identify it, identify with it, of course, and self-label. And this is when we begin to lose all nuance around the different ways that trauma can show up and make itself known. And similarly, completely dismiss the grief experience that can, as I've discussed, be a very different beast entirely. As a practitioner of feminine embodiment and somatic integration work, my work is grief-focused. Yet even when the focus is on cultivating embodied safety and developing a personal relationship to grief that feels supportive and healing, it's trauma that will often surface in the body first. A client might describe different sensations that reflect a nervous system response. For example, maybe a faster heartbeat or sweating. Or on the other end of the spectrum, there might be yawning or a perceived lack of any sensation. Without going into major detail, it often takes some time to reach the raw tenderness of grief that resides underneath some of these trauma responses. Interestingly, often these are systemic reactions that don't even have direct connection to the grief itself, but that surface in response to the invitation into vulnerability. Right? So when we meet the grief, there's something... I feel really natural in the unraveling of that. But it's in the anticipation of meeting the grief, the grief and kind of moving into that vulnerability that actually sparks some of these trauma responses first and foremost. And this leads me into something I've been thinking about in relation to working with trauma 
as opposed to grief and pleasure, which are the two realms of healing and development that we focus on at Sensual Alchemy School. And of course, these are all interwoven. They're all tangled. Okay. There's nothing um, binaried about these states, but I've been thinking about how grief and pleasure are, I guess you could say, non-conditioned human states from birth, meaning we're born with an innate orientation towards feeling and expressing both grief and pleasure. So from infancy, we realize we like the taste of something and we continue to follow that because it's pleasurable. We also recognize when we've lost something meaningful to us, even temporarily like a favorite toy, when our mum or dad leaves for work or when we move house, anything that makes us feel emotionally bereft, confused or out of control in some way. And as a child, even if we can't understand our feelings, we express what we feel without reservation. We let it move through us. It's not until we're taught otherwise that we begin to adapt our natural pleasure inclinations and grief expressions, dulling these receptors even to avoid shame or rejection. Now, it's important to note that where there can be lots of crossovers, as I've said, trauma is typically evoked by an event, sudden or unpredictable, that happens outside of our familiar ecosystem and is concerned with how that particular event, that event that happens too much, too fast and too soon, is interpreted and experienced by the individual. So you might experience something very differently than your friend, than your mother, than your brother. And we can't underestimate the impact of personal factors like emotional regulation, cognitive responses, secondary stresses, coping style, prior history of trauma, and access to support and resources in determining how a person responds. So trauma compounds and accumulates as a whole bodied physiological response to life, essentially. And that in itself can catalyze its own form of devastating grief. It feels to me that in recent years, particularly in the self-development world, trauma work has become more commodified and therefore, for marketing and communication purposes, more easily definable. I don't know if this lands for you at all, but it seems like more people are willing to do the work around trauma than with grief because it can sometimes be sold as if there'll be an outcome at the end. You will resolve your trauma with X, Y, Z, whether that be nervous system healing or attachment-focused work or meditation, yoga, you know, you name it. But I've been watching this trend online and there are incredible trauma specialists making really important information and education more readily available, which is ultimately fantastic and brings awareness and accessibility. But there are way less grief specialists, I've noticed, and way less people willing to speak to and support people in their grief particularly outside of more linear prescribed models of therapeutic frameworks. So I don't know. I think that might be because people sense 
that in its purest form, grief work is amorphous and shadowy with no distinct shape, timeline or quantifiable structure to it. It's concerned with matters of the heart and matters of the heart are very challenging to make sense of. So we don't try. It's an existential challenge to even imagine going to the depths of our grief. Yet I feel like for many, working on trauma, as incredibly painful and frightening and uncomfortable as it can be, seems like there's a point to it or something because it's become more neatly packaged as something we can heal from or find resolution to. Grief, even when it's sold that way, I don't think people really buy it. I think deep down, people know that grief asks more of us, even when it's tangled in trauma. It asks us to bring our loss to life. It's not about what the traumatic thing was that happened to us and how it impacted our relationship to the world. It's about how broken our heart is now because it is so. But here's my take, beloveds. Making space for how our body has been impacted by traumatic events in our life and the lives of our ancestors is essential life-giving capacity-building work if we want to free ourselves of patterns of attachment and behaviours that aren't allowing us to thrive. Yet making space to become intimate with how our body holds, knows, expresses and represses the sorrow, despair and heartache of loss is holy. The work of embodying and alchemizing the tangled web of grief that lives and moves within us, both consciously and unconsciously, is deeply and indisputably transformational. There is a sacredness to grief work, a ripening and maturation that occurs when we open ourselves to the communal and creative transmutation that grief invites us into. But it's only when we can untangle what we've come to know as our trauma from our grief, the textures, the qualities, the flavours of our embodied experience will teach us that if we're willing to meet with it. When we pull back from the current cultural frames of reference that speak a language of pathology and solution-focused outcomes, we can then open a dialogue with the language of our grief. But this asks for a level of vulnerability and willingness to connect beyond cliches and platitudes. This is beautiful, soul-affirming work, and it must be revered as such. Now, I know so many of you are ready for this work. Either personally you're wanting to move closer to grief and how it lives and moves in your body and psyche, or you're really aware of how important it is, even more so now than ever, to become grief literate, not just for your own wellness and capacity to thrive, but to support others in your life, whether that be loved ones or in your work in the world as a woman who leads, coaches, helps, or heals. I believe that if we're not given the safe and held containers to explore this stuff, we can't untangle it. We can't glean the wisdom 
waiting to be gleaned. So I'm in the thick of creating some pretty amazing experiences and trainings for 2023 here at Sensual Alchemy School of Embodied Grief and Pleasure. Offerings that will both support you personally and professionally to deepen and ripen as a leader and a well-resourced human. So I'll be announcing some wait lists super soon. But in the meantime, I am starting some new one-on-one clients in my Embodied Grief Alchemy and Creative Feminine Leadership Coaching and Mentoring offerings this month. And I am teetering on capacity, I've got to say, but if you are interested, I'm certainly open to reaching out. Um, Please, yeah, send me an email at um, kate at katelieper.com or hit me up kate.leeper on Insta, if this is the kind of work you're ready to learn more about and you kind of want to go there in a deep and intimate private container. Now, I'll also put some of my most recent favorite resources that have supported my understanding of both trauma and grief work in the show notes for you. So check them out if you're wanting to deepen your explorations in this area. And finally, my friends, if you know someone who might dig this episode, I'd love for you to pass it on. Someone who themselves is navigating their own tangled grief and or a woman who leads, coaches, helps or heals and might be interested in this intersection as they work to support women in a more aware and nuanced way. If you love today's conversation, pretty please hit the review button on your Apple podcast app. And I would just be so grateful if you could send some love. This is how I can be found so much easier by those who need the sensual alchemy medicine. Okay. Thank you again, my loves. I am so grateful for you. I will see you again next time. Thank you for joining me today on the sensual alchemy school podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leeper. I'd love to hear from you.